So for most men, the reason why they don't feel empowered in their life is because they don't know who they become when they feel powerless, mm. right? When their girlfriend is angry or upset and you know he can't get her to calm down or feel better or he can't reconcile the situation. He's apologized 10 times. It still hasn't helped. When a man feels powerless is simultaneously the opportunity for him to expand into his own power and at the same time where he is likely to be the most dangerous. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state We scrape the plate I put my eggs in the basket Took a leap of faith I took a chance Now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests Now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. And on today's episode, we are going to be facing our darkness to end self-sabotage and find freedom on the other side of that. This is not an easy journey, an easy task. It's not something you roll out of bed and then boom, everything is good. In fact, it takes courage. It takes discipline. It takes guidance and so much more. To do that, we are bringing to you someone that has done it for himself, but not only for himself but for hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of men across the globe. Our friend Connor Beaton is joining the show today, the founder of Man Talks, an international organization focused on men's wellness, success, and fulfillment. He's a coach, facilitator, teacher, podcast host, and speaker, just to name a few, helping men from all over the world find purpose, healthy love, a joy-filled life, and fulfilling sexual connection. Connor has a no BS approach, which you're going to hear on this episode, with compassionate understanding of our own human limitations. He's coached thousands of men through private coaching, group workshops, retreats, masterminds, the list goes on. On top of that, he shared the stage with individuals just like Gary V, Lewis Howes, and many more. Like I said, face our darkness and self-sabotage, find freedom. We're going to be confronting our circles, the people we're in proximity with. Are they challenging us or are they competing against us? Are we too vulnerable? Are we not vulnerable enough? The list goes on. This conversation goes in a million and one different directions, all about helping us face our darkness and self-sabotage and find freedom. Now, I'm going to say this. There are people in your life that need to hear Connor's word and work that we are amplifying in this episode. This is totally free to listen to, but if there was a fee, it would be to share this with the people in your life. No matter if you're a male, female, no matter how you identify, that does not matter. It's about facing our darkness, ending self-sabotage, and finding freedom. So I'm urging you to share this episode with the people in your life. And to that point, and without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Connor Beaton. Connor, welcome to Decoding Success. I am really excited for this conversation we're about to have. I have a plethora of questions of my own and beyond. So thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you for joining us. Awesome, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to dive in. Let's dive in. First and foremost, I've been trying to start the show off. I mean, we're four years into this journey and I realized that I should be doing a better job of asking our guests how they're doing and knowing that you're putting out a book into the world, you have family, business, all of these things. How is Connor? Like what's going on in the life of Connor? You know, things things are pretty great in the life of Connor. I just got back from Hawaii, took my nice. family there, my wife and my son. And I've been meeting with a, a group of men in my life for a few years now. And the guys, we're all in different places. There's a guy in Australia, there's men in Canada, there's men in the States. And so, and they're, they're all, most of them have been friends of mine for, you know, over a decade. And so we decided to meet up. So, you know, some of the guys are new to the group and we haven't met in person. And, you know, some of us haven't met our families. So we decided to meet up in Hawaii and, and bring our families and have them all meet. And so that was a huge joy. But I, I think on a, uh, on the on the flip side, I am uh, experiencing the the pangs of parenthood. You know, my mm. son's going through a little bit of a sleep regression, and so the last couple of weeks, <laughs> he's he's twenty months old, and so the last couple of weeks, he's just been up every night. You know, so like last night, he was up for an hour and a half. You know, during one of the stints, and so you're just you're like you know up in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning. Most parents will will understand this. You're like running through your brain, like okay, I have all this shit to do tomorrow. <laughs> How functional am I going to be on this little of sleep? But your body adjusts and acclimatizes, and and your routines hopefully adjust and acclimatize. So that's a little quick rundown on how I'm doing. 
You make it work. I love that. Now, I, I think I actually seen you post the picture with Brandon Collinsworth, a few other gentlemen. Is that what you were referring to in Hawaii? That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. curious, like, I think it's really important for not just men, but women as well to like be a part of community like that. So for instance, I was doing a mastermind with four other individuals right before the pandemic. So in 2019, and it was a great accountability factor. And you know, the group itself lacks some depth at times and a lot of things you talk about. So like, for instance, you know, not exposing weakness for, you know, mm. certain reasons and whatnot. But I'm curious, like, what do you feel like being a part of that group has done for you personally? Oh man. Well, that group certainly does not lack depth. And so I'm I think, sure I think for me, you know, it's these types of conversations. A mentor of mine said that we are wounded in relationships and so we have to heal in relationship. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of us as men have had over the years tumultuous relationships with other men. And we often have very competition-based relationships with other men where we're subtly, consciously and unconsciously competing with them. You know, it's like you're hanging out with your buddies in the bar and you're retelling stories, you know, about dating or work. And it's kind of a little bit of a you know, it's it's a little bit of a measuring contest, right? You're mm -hmm. you're talking about how great things went, how good are things going, and sometimes those types of relationships and conversations can just lack in the depth that you crave. And I think that all of us as men, I, I can only really speak for men, and because it's what I do is is work with men. I think all of us as men really crave depth in our relationships. You know, we want to talk about the hard things. We want to go on adventures with other men and experience new things. We want to understand that the men in our lives are going through similar things. And so, you know, this group has been phenomenal for me because in a lot of ways it's pushed me, it's challenged me, it's helped me see things differently. We've talked about everything. I mean, during the pandemic, post-pandemic, we talked about everything. And the cool thing about that group is that not all of us agree on every topic and every subject. You know, we've talked about Black Lives Matter and we've talked about just everything under the sun. And I think because of the diversity in the group and the diversity of opinion and perspective and upbringing, it helps to push the way that you think and see outside of your own social conditioning and upbringing. And, and it's a great space to challenge. And I think that that's what most men are actually lacking within their relationships. They're lacking challenge-oriented relationships. Mm -hmm. They're lacking having relationships with other men who are challenging them to say, hey, listen, man, you said you wanted to cut down on drinking. And I've noticed that the last couple of times we've gone out, you've just been blitzed. Like, what's going on? Are you doing okay? And I want to hold you accountable to what you said you wanted to do because I give a shit about you. And I think in some ways, that's how we as men feel another man's care for us. You know, it's like when another man is stepping into the space of holding me accountable or challenging me or, you know, sharing a different perspective, I know that that's uncomfortable for him. You know, I know that for yeah. most guys, it's not easy. And so for me, I'm like, I know that you care enough about me to be uncomfortable to hold me accountable or challenge me and vice versa for you to open yourself up for me to challenge you and hold you accountable. So I think it's elevated every element of my life, my finances, my mental health, my relationship, how I show up as a father, how I show up in these conversations, because I know unequivocally that at any time and under any circumstances, I have eight men in my life that I can call for any reason at any time. And I think that that is an asset and a resource that most people are really lacking truly mm -hmm. if they really get honest with themselves. And it's a very, very valuable asset to have in your corner. I love conversations like this because I could feel my mind opening. So many questions. First one being, you mentioned two words, two C words that I want to break down and understand the difference in your mind. Those two words, number one is competition. Number two is challenge. What do you find are the major differences between those two? And I can elaborate on why I'm asking that, but I'm really curious as to like what you think the difference is. I think the the big difference inherently is the role of weakness or vulnerability, right? So if you're competing okay. with somebody, if you're competing with somebody, what's the one thing that you don't want them to know or see? It's your weakness. Weakness, yeah. You just don't you just don't want them to know that because if you're in competition with them, you want to win. It's that's the inherent aspect of competition. Or even if you're competing with them in a sort of friendly way, you're still pushing one another, but there's there's a, a sort of hierarchy that starts to form within competition naturally that's birthed out of competition. 
competition. And it's not a bad thing. I think it gets a little bit of slack in our culture today. But I think inherently, the difference is that if I'm going to challenge you versus compete with you, naturally and inherently, what will start to happen is that when we're in competition, I don't want you to know my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, where where I might be struggling. And so those things unconsciously get withheld because I don't want you to, I want you to see a certain image of me based on the the framework that we're in, which is competing. Now, if, if we're challenging one another, that's different, right? If I'm challenging you to be a better father or to be a better husband, it's okay for me to know your weaknesses. It's all right for me to understand where you might be struggling or things aren't going well. And so it opens up the depth of the conversation. And this is what a lot of men are missing, and some women as well are missing within their relationships, specifically their friendships, is that they they haven't made any room for their weaknesses. And so they are afraid. And I've been been a culprit of this in the past. You know, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I was living this very great life on the surface, traveling the world, great relationship, the cars, the motorcycles, and behind the scenes, abusing substances, you know, porn addiction, struggling with infidelity constantly and completely out of control. And But nobody in my life knew that. Nobody knew what was going on because I didn't want the men in my life to see those weaknesses. So challenge opens up the door for me to say, this is who I am and this is the direction that I'm going. This is who I actually want to become as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader, you know, in my health, in my mindset, in my finances. And I'm open to you challenging me when I might be missing something. And so that automatically allows me to show you a bigger version of who I am. Not this myopic, narrow version that I want you to see when I'm competing with you, but this much larger version of this is the truth of who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'm curious to learn how much competition is actually internally based. So for example, if you come on here today and you say, well, Matt, guess what? I have 10 million downloads on my podcast and I'm sitting here saying, fuck, I only have 2 million, right? How much of competition is me perceiving that what you shared with me as a threat versus me saying, you know what, if Connor can get 10 million downloads, I can, where then I could, you know, perceive that as a challenge. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a good amount of it is internalized, and it's okay. it is your internal perspective of whether or not somebody else is competing with you. I also think that you know, again, in our culture right now, because you know, a lot of what we're talking about is is culture based and social based. It's competition is sort of baked into the sort of DNA of American yeah. culture, you know, and that's not a bad thing. Like, I love competing with the men in my life, you know, like that's sometimes that's a really healthy, great thing to do. You know, doing things like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is another mm. great thing to do because you can learn how to be in competition with another man and lose. You know, like I remember I went to my first Brazilian Jiu Jitsu class and the teacher there was like five foot eight. I'm six foot two. I'm 200 pounds. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna, all you have to do to begin with is to just get me off of you. Right. So I, I'm in like, you know, full guard. He's like, all you got to do is get me off. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be easy. This guy's like 160 pounds. He's five foot eight. Like, I'm going to toss this guy off of me. And for the next five to six minutes, I could not get that man off of me. And it showed me the difference. And it was, again, it was a very you know, healthy little like competition, but it showed me that skill is an incredibly important aspect, that weakness is an incredibly important aspect. It's not a bad thing. We just have to discern who we want to share our weaknesses with, right? Brene Brown said, vulnerability is earned, not given. And I think that's very true for us as men. We have to discern who am I going to share my weaknesses with as a man, you know, where I'm struggling, where I don't want other people to know I might be failing because those are the things that we need help carrying. Those are the things that we need other perspectives on. And if we are so pride-filled and ego-filled that we can't share those things with other people, it's, it's going to weigh us down. It will inevitably become the energy and the fodder for our sabotage a hundred percent because we will constantly be in this comparison mode, right? I think that's the other element when we're talking about the two C's, we'll add in a third mm. C. <laughs> which comparison, is, absolutely. When we start to compete with other people, what are we doing? We're comparing ourselves to them constantly, right? Am I as good? Do I have as many downloads? And so competition is in a healthy way, allows us to see where we stand, allows us to have a vision of where we want to move. And that's a very healthy thing. But it can also turn into this debilitating process of just comparing ourselves to the people who 
we love the most, who are the closest to us, and who we don't need to be comparing ourselves to, who we mm-hmm. need to allow ourselves to challenge and be challenged by. So I hope that answers your question. A bit. It does. It does. And you beat me to my next one. I was really curious because in society, like you mentioned, competition is in front of us all the time, whether you're watching sports or whatever the case is. And if you grow up as a man idolizing someone or putting them on a pedestal such as Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Wayne Gretzky or one of the great athletes of our time, whatever it may be, they almost operate from a sense of not having any weaknesses, right? Like if you Mm. deep dive into the life of Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, like they were just so focused on their strengths, like there really was no weakness and they really flushed that out of their mind, which to me means you're like super in the ego. What's your take on people operating from a sense of that? Well, I think, I mean, Kobe and Jordan are a little bit of a different, each of them are different different beasts, right? Like Jordan, (laughs) I would agree with you. I think Jordan did in sometimes operate, you know, and and this is all external, right? We don't, we weren't around these men. And so it's, it's very sort of secondary commentary, but I think Kobe was different. You know, I think if you look at how that man lived his life, how he practiced, you know, there's a documentary about him work like with the U S team when they were going to the Olympics and he, I think he knew his weaknesses deeply. You know, I think he was really familiar with them and he worked on them incessantly. You know, he knew that he was kind of behind the eight ball. He wanted to learn from men like Jordan. He, you know, he was constantly pushing his edge because he knew that there were things that he still needed to work on. And so I I think that, I think that just to sort of get back to your question, when we try and operate in this impenetrable way, as if we have no weaknesses or no flaws, we actually blind ourselves to the things that that we could work on. We actually blind ourselves Mm -hmm. to potential obstacles and we do ourselves and the people around us a disservice. I think the thing that made somebody like Kobe Bryant great was that he, you know, if you listen to him talk in interviews and the way that he would push himself and push his teammates, he was constantly working on his flaws. You know, he was very, very, very conscious of them. And those were the things that pushed him to grow, to get better, to achieve more, to become more masterful. So, you know, I think that we, I'll give you another example. A buddy of mine in my men's group, I wrote, I just wrote this book called Men's Work. And, you know, essentially like I had been shopping the book around for a number of years. I got a lot of pushback from publishing houses. You know, the first major publishing house I had a phone call with that she was like, men don't buy books. Men don't buy personal development books. Men don't buy books that are self-help oriented. And I was like, Mm. I was like, well, first off, that's bullshit. And second off, maybe you're just not selling or producing books that guys give a shit about, you know, like maybe, <laughs> maybe it's, maybe it's not that men don't buy them. Maybe it's that you're not producing something that they, that they actually care about. But anyway, so I ended up pursuing this goal and got a book deal and got a book advance. And it was, you know, a decent book advance, which felt pretty great for me. I've never written a book before. I failed grade 12 English. So it was like this huge accomplishment. And I brought that to my men's group because part of having other good men in my life is I want to be able to celebrate my wins, even if those wins are uncomfortable for me to share. Because sometimes, you know, I think this is where this notion of it's lonely at the top comes from, is that you start to have these wins as you grow and as you become more successful, that there's a bit of shame around uh, celebrating those things, you know, celebrating a financial windfall or the 10 million downloads or whatever it is, right? So I brought it to my men's group and I celebrated with them. Fast forward months later, I had connected with one of the men in my men's group with my book agent. And I said, listen, man, he'd written a number of books. He'd written like eight books. And I said, you know, but he'd always self-published. I said, I think it's time for you to publish your first book through a major publishing agency and to see how big you can go because he'd done some incredible things on his own. And I said, now it's time to step into the sort of system and see what you can do. And so I challenged him and, you know, pushed his edge a little bit and he got the agent went out, they created a book deal, yada, yada, yada. And so he gets his, he gets his first offer and his offer was less than mine because I had already celebrated my advance, right? So he gets his first offer and the book advance is less than mine. And so he comes in to the group and, you know, he's talking about this and I said, listen, if you are worried, if you're comparing yourself to me, like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's get this out in the open. And then I said, 
if you feel like you want to compete a little bit, then get your ass in the game. Go back and negotiate. Go back and see what you can do. See if you can get what I got. See if you can you know, go beyond what I got in my book advance. And so I sparked a little bit of that competition with him. And sure enough, he went back to the negotiating table with his agents and about a month and a half later came back and, and had, had out-competed, right? So I was like, great, dude. Like, congratulations. You deserve this. You earned this. But it's in, it was, none of that would have been possible if he didn't come into the conversation and say, here's where I feel less than. Mm -hmm. I'm comparing myself to you. Here's my weakness. I feel like I didn't get what you got and now I'm judging myself for it and I have resentment for it. And that makes me feel like shit because I love you. You helped me get this deal in the first place. (laughs) And he's like, I don't want to feel that way. So it's in the sharing of the weakness that he was then able to go out and surpass me. And I can celebrate him for that because we built an even deeper bond over that connection. So I think that's a good example of the benefits that can come from sharing our weakness with the right people, right? We don't want to go out and advertise this to absolutely everybody. We want to have certain people in our lives where there's this reciprocal relationship where we can bring all of ourselves to that dynamic and share all of ourselves with that other person. So you somehow beat me to all of my next questions. I was just going to ask you. <laughs> no, I genuinely mean this. Out of total curiosity, do you feel like men can be over vulnerable? And the reason I'm asking that is because, for instance, I have a podcast and I share what I'm sharing with you right now. Like I don't really hold anything back. I don't give a facade and I kind of open the the doorways to my life. So, you know, you're talking about people, you know, selectively being vulnerable when it comes to weaknesses and whatnot. Is there a thing over vulnerable? Is that such a thing? Yeah. I I wrote about this in the book. I said, there is such a thing as too much too soon, you know? Too much too soon. Okay. Too much too soon. And the main narrative that a lot of men are being told, like in the book, I write about the myth of male vulnerability. And Mm. there is this myth that's being pushed in modern culture that men are struggling and that the solution, and I don't disagree with the fact that men are struggling. I think statistically speaking, if we look at what's happening to young boys and young men and just men in general, men are struggling within our culture. But the myth comes in and says the solution to men struggling is they just need to be more vulnerable. So it's this very sort of feminine approach and notion that the reason why men are struggling is because they're just disconnected to their emotions. They just need to be more vulnerable. They just need to open up and share more and it'll solve all their problems, right? Their financial problems, their work problems, their relationship problems, their sexual challenges. It'll solve all your problems. You just need to be more vulnerable. So you have a lot of men that are running around in culture that have taken this narrative in, that have bought into it fully and completely and how they operate, you know, no disrespect to them whatsoever, because I was that guy for a few years. But how we are trained to operate is to just sort of vomit everything out in our relationship, especially to women. And Mm. so women have become the sort of emotional processing centers for a lot of men, which in a relationship isn't exactly the role that they want to play. It doesn't create sexual tension. It doesn't create, you know, a lot of ease or flow. And so for a lot of guys, they've bought into this notion that, well, if I just bear all of my weaknesses and share all that openly, then maybe I'll be safe. Maybe I'll be a good man. You know, I'm doing the right thing, but it doesn't actually produce the results that they want because what ends up happening is that for some guys, they feel like, oh, I'm bearing my soul, but I'm not getting what I want in return because there's this kind of promise baked in to be more vulnerable that if you're more vulnerable within our culture, you'll get what you want, right? You'll get what you want. You'll get the followers, you'll get the likes, you'll get the clicks, you'll get the money, you'll get the girl, you'll get the things. And for a lot of guys, they open up and they become very, very vulnerable and they share a lot about themselves with their partner in a relationship online on social media and they don't get what they're looking for. And so then it's very confusing because it's like, well, but I opened up and I shared and she still broke up with me. Like what the hell's going on? So we have to discern who and when and where and what we are going to share about our vulnerabilities and weaknesses. It's not that we need to kill them off. That's absurd. That doesn't work. I've tried that as well. Many men have tried that. It's not possible. It's that we need to have healthy, good relationships where we can bring those weaknesses. So like in a relationship, if you're on a second or third date, you probably don't want to be going in on all of your past weaknesses and you know 
drug use or infidelities and your childhood trauma. It's like, you know, you need to build some trust and rapport with people. And so, you know, vulnerability has kind of become this this sort of very like clicky thing to do, you know, this sort of notion that if you're just more vulnerable, every, the skies will open and your wishes will be granted and you'll manifest exactly what you want. And it's not true. We have to discern where we can bring those vulnerabilities so that it's safe. I think that's the other thing. You know, I see a lot of men getting really really deeply wounded in relationships with women where they open up for the first time in their life and they say, okay, I'm constantly being told that I need to open up and be vulnerable. So they open up and they talk about something that happened to them as a boy, childhood trauma, being abused, you know, being neglected or abandoned. And the person that that man is with doesn't know how to deal with that or can't hold it or it shifts their perspective of him and eventually it leads towards the relationship ending. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly damaging because of what it tells a man is when I'm vulnerable, people leave me. Yeah. When I open up, people leave me. And that's going to be true sometimes. And we as men know this. We know that there's this huge risk of being vulnerable and sharing our weakness in a relationship. We know that, right? And it's a very interesting part of the modern conversation right now. I'm not going to go too much further down that rabbit hole. So, But the main thing is find good men in your life that you can bring these weaknesses to so that you can begin to work on them. You can begin to integrate them and they won't control or have so much power over you and your life. Mm. I, I want to get into the book. I do have it here next to me, but I actually want to stay on this topic because I find it really, really interesting. Women, and I'm not throwing women under the bus here whatsoever. So women that are tuned into this, please do not, you know, slide in my DMs and get at me about this. You're going to get it now. Look it out. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm putting it out there right now. Full disclaimer, right? <laughs> Full disclaimer. I find that women seek men or want men to be vulnerable and open and in touch with their emotions. But when they receive that, they then start to perceive them as less than weak, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that's from personal experience. That's from experiences with people around me that I've seen. And like you said, it leads to the, it leads to hurt, right? And no one actually wants to feel hurt. Who, who sets out to feel that? What's your take on that? Like what we're experiencing in modern day dating society, relationship society and whatnot? Oh boy, this is a big one. And, you know, I think to know fault of their own women, you know, women want safety within a relationship and that's Absolutely. valid. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing that safety is a requirement for trust to be possible in a relationship. And I think that a lot of women have experienced relationships to men or with men, whether it's their father or their brothers or, you know, guys that they've dated that are incredibly unsafe. And that's true. You know, it's a very true experience. And I also think that not a lot of women have seen a man be vulnerable in, I don't want to use the word effective, but in a way that was grounded, in a way that mm. didn't alter the dynamic of the relationship. Because it's very different. You know, if I want to go to my wife, I can still share my weaknesses. I can still be vulnerable and open with her. But there are ways to do it. And then there are ways where we are turning our partner into our dependent, right? Or we're becoming the dependent for our partner, right? I need you to help me sort through this because I just can't and I don't have anybody else in my life to help me figure it out. That's what a lot of men are doing. And that's why the vulnerability is, is not received well. And so I think for a lot of women, they don't have examples of a man being vulnerable, right? They've grown up around a father who shut down. They've been with men who have just, you know, raged out or withheld everything. And so when a man does open up, they can be very confronting for that woman to then receive and say like, mm. okay, this doesn't change my perspective of you. It doesn't alter my perspective of you. So it's not necessarily that like women are wrong or men are wrong. I think part of the challenge within the quote unquote gender wars that are happening in our culture right now is that it's just a lot of finger pointing and it doesn't do anything to to support. But I think that both men and women in, you know, we're talking about a heterosexual relationship, obviously, but I think both men and women in our culture have their own responsibility when it comes to bringing forward some of these things, right? So a man's responsibility is you got to have other men that you can bring some of these things to. Like I'll sure. give you an example. I'll just be very real and honest. Last 
last year, I was waiting for my green card to come through and my son had just been born and I just landed my book deal. So I'm writing my book. My son is like six months old. I'm in the process of waiting for my green card because I'm Canadian originally and I married an American. And so I'm here waiting for that. And my mom gets diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so I can't leave the country, right? I can't leave the country to go and see my mom who is terminal, right? She's dying. She's still alive today. Thankfully, she's fighting the good fight. You know, she's doing an amazing job. But I'm in this very terrible, horrendous position of, I just brought my son into the world and now I know I'm going to lose my mom. And there's a possibility that she might never meet her grandson. And that to me is just heart-wrenching, you know, heart-wrenching for a number of reasons. Because, you know, what man doesn't want his parents to meet his child? You know, it's sort of like this proud moment, I think for me at least. And so... I was in this position of, I don't know if my mom's going to be able to meet my son. I can't go visit her because if I leave the country, there's a chance that I can't get back in. My immigration lawyer is saying, do not go, you know, under any circumstance, do not go because there's a high probability you won't be able to get back in the country. And so I feel this sort of very weak, very helpless state of like, I can't do shit about this. I can't do anything about this. Now, if I had complained and whined and, you know, brought it to my wife and just sort of, you know, for days moped around and take it, took it out on her and, and, you know, cried incessantly and was like, I can't handle this and da, da, da. that type of vulnerability, she's probably not going to respect because I am not taking ownership over my life and what's happening for me as a man, right? The truth that all men know and I think women know is that women still want strong men. It's just true. Women sure. still want strong men. Just statistically, you know, it's just what they look for. And so now I'm not going to say that I didn't cry in front of my wife because I absolutely did because I was heartbroken, but I brought it to her in a way where I said, "Listen, babe, I'm really hurting and I do not know what to do about this. And I don't want you to have to solve it. This is not your problem to fix, but I just want you to know I'm fucking struggling right now. I'm really mm -hmm. struggling because I'm terrified that my mom, my mother is not going to get to meet my firstborn son. And for me, that's heartbreaking. And the thought of that tears me apart. And so for her immediately, right, what have I done? I've told her what I'm experiencing internally. I've been honest about what I'm feeling, right? So she can trust me inherently. And I've told her what I need from her and what I don't. I don't need you to try and fix this. I don't need you to try and solve this. I just want you to know where I'm at. And that's it. And I brought that to my men as well, to the men in my life. And I said, here's what's going on. And can we talk about this? You know, like, what are some options that we can run through? But really, there was nothing for me to be done. So that's an example of me bringing something that was very real, very vulnerable, very raw to my wife in a way where she could hear it, receive it, we could talk about it. And it deepened the relationship and the connection because it was truly what I was feeling and going through. But I'm not burdening her with having to solve anything, with having to figure out my emotions for me, right? Mm -hmm. I was still sovereign, emotionally sovereign, and able to say, this is what's going on in me. This is how I feel. This is true. And I can face this, but I want you to be in on what my experience is. And for most women, that's the type of vulnerability that they're looking for from men. The communication is on point. It leads me to ask you this, because throughout this conversation, numerous times we've talked about bringing what it is you're experiencing to the men in your life, your boys, your homies, whatever it may be. What if someone listening to this says, you know what, I have friends, I can communicate to them, but the truth of the matter is I'm more comfortable speaking to a woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest, my therapist is a woman. Mm -hmm. I love her. You know, like I I'm super happy with that. When I was in search, I was like, you know what, I just feel more comfortable speaking to a woman. So what's your take there? Like we're talking about bringing to the men in your life, but what about bringing to a group of women? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's something that so many men experience, right? It's, it is easier for us to open up to a woman. It mm. just is. And it's easier because of what we've been talking about this whole conversation. There's no sense of competition. I don't feel like I'm competing mm. with her, right? I don't feel like there's any challenge either, right? Most of the time, a man is bringing something like that to a female friend or a woman in his life or his girlfriend or his wife because he's less likely to be challenged. He's less likely to maybe be perceived that he's going to be judged. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. But what I am going to say is that most men are doing that because they have a deep wound with the masculine and with men, mm. right? So I did this for a long time in my life where 
all of my closest friends were women, all of them. Now, I was trying to sleep with most of them, but all, <laughs> all of my closest <laughs> friends were women and I would bring all of my emotional stuff with them, my relational challenges to them. I would talk about everything, you know, that's going on in my life and my family with them and my career with them. And it was fairly easy. I don't know how much changed or shifted and I don't know how clean any of that was or how clean any of that can be for a number of reasons that we could that we could talk about but I think are pretty obvious and and so you know and I didn't have good men in my life because I was I had been hurt by men you know my parents got divorced mm -hmm. when I was 3 I watched the death of my parents marriage I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my dad as a kid you know my the main caretaker in my life was my stepfather who was, you know, as a child was often verbally or emotionally or physically abusive. And so I had a deep pain specifically with men. And that is the pain that so many men are needing to face, but are terrified to deal with. Mm -hmm. So they're scared of men. They're afraid of men. They've been hurt by men. They don't trust men. They don't feel safe with men. You know, they don't see the value in being around men. And that to me is the real freaking problem, right? That's the real problem. And as I've healed that dynamic, that relationship with the masculine and with men, not only have the relationships with the men in my life massively evolved and deepened and become so like nutrient dense you know there is this very specific psychological physical and emotional nutrition that we get from masculine relationships as men just like women do from other women you know there's a reason why there's tens of thousands of women's groups and you know women's masterminds and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. there is something vital about that dynamic and so if we aren't willing as men to admit I don't want to be around men because I've been hurt by them and I don't want to be I don't want to be around men because I don't trust them and I don't feel safe and I'm scared of it if we don't want to admit that then there's nothing that we can really do but when we can admit it then we can start to shift that we can start to change that and I get this question all the time in my line of work you know through social media and whatnot where guys are like I want that type of relationship with men, but I just don't think I have men in my life who can do that. And so my response is always, go find those men, you mm -hmm. know, go find them. There are tons of groups, right? I run an organization called Man Talks. We have something called The Alliance. We've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men from around the world who have these types of conversations, who have one another's back, who are willing to be honest and challenge one another. And so, and there's tons of those types of groups right? So go to where those kinds of men are and start to repair your relationship to the masculine and to men. And you will see the rest of your life fundamentally change. You will see your relationship change. You'll see your finances and your health change. You'll see all of it shift because psychologically, that's the part of us that's often responsible for our drive, our determination, our sense of assertiveness, our connection to our anger, right? Our vision for our lives, our sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. All of that's wrapped up within the masculine psyche for men. And mm -hmm. so if we are wounded in that part, it's very likely that you as a man are going to feel lost. You're going to feel disconnected. You're going to have a hyper-prioritization of women and their perspectives. You're going to have a deep mistrust of men, and you're going to be fundamentally disconnected from your own masculine core. Again, this isn't to say that you can't have good women in your life that you talk to, right? Maybe your therapist who's a woman is like exactly what you need because therapists play a very different role. But in terms of friendship, then I think that's a little bit different. Absolutely. I'm curious, you know, I too have divorced parents and kind of grew up with a quote unquote stepfather in my childhood home. From your experience, looking back, how did you know which, or let me reframe that, growing up with divorced parents, you had potentially two men in your life. How did you balance what to take from where? Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I didn't have that kind of discernment. You know, sure. as, a, as a kid, I was just, I was trying to chase my father. Like I was trying to have a, a relationship okay. with him and I was trying to get away from my stepdad. <laughs> like that was pretty much, that yeah. was the game that I was playing. Right. But my stepfather was my hockey coach. You know, he was the main figure in my life. And so in my early twenties, I had to reconcile with the fact that I quote unquote, didn't get the father I wanted, but I kind of got the father that I needed. You know, mm. I learned discipline from my stepdad. He was, even though he was tough, he was always there. He's a very, very smart man and very loving in his own way. And so 
I had to, in my early to mid 20s, start to reconcile with, you know, what did I actually get from them? And what can I take and what can I let go of? A huge part of that was just forgiving both of those men, you know, forgiving my father completely, forgiving my, my stepfather completely, and beginning to see who they were, not who I wanted them to be, not who I wanted my stepdad to be or who I wanted my father to be, but just who were they actually as men. And to start to get to know them at a very deep level. And that illuminated a lot of who I had become as a man. You know, my own sense of anger, my own drive and determination, my own relationship to women, you know, a lot of that showed up, my own charisma, my own sense of humor. You know, I could see that in both of those men. And so it wasn't necessarily this parting, like piecing apart of like, well, what am I going to take from them and what am I going to reject entirely? I think I did that for a little bit, but then that kind of faded away when I prioritized forgiveness because Mm -hmm. then I could see who they were at their core and who they were really as men. And I could begin to see who I had become and how I was influenced by them. And that was a much more worthy endeavor because I think a lot of men who have been hurt by their fathers or by their, you know, their male caretaker, they're chasing them in some capacity, needing them. And they kind of, they're still in that role of the boy or they're so hurt by them that there's this complete shutdown and rejection of them. You know, it's like, fuck them. I didn't need anything from them anyway. I don't, you know, they were just miserable or blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness requires us to grieve and it requires us to begin to see that other person as human, not as an object that has hurt us. And when we can do that, we also let go of hate. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big things that forgiveness can do. And it's hard, you know, if you've been hurt by your father as a young boy, I mean, that's a pain to carry, you know, that is a deep pain to carry that there's generally a ton of anger around whether you're in contact with it or not. It lives in you, in your mind and in your body for sure. You know, I've worked with tens of thousands of men over the years and many of them have been hurt by their fathers and all of them carry a very deep pain and anger that needs to be felt and understood and released so that they can fully forgive and begin to move on and begin to see that man for who he was. So, and I think that that's, that's the work that so many of us are being called to do. You know, the first line in the book is a man's work begins in pain. Mm. That's where it starts. You know, it begins with pain because we have had generations of men who have not been taught how to deal with their pain. And so they're walking around hurt passing it on to other people in their lives, their friends, their family members, their girlfriends, their wives, their bosses, their coworkers, right? Fucking people at Starbucks. (laughs) And so you have this sort of plague of men who are just hurt and just don't know how to deal with their own pain. And if you as a man can learn how to deal with your own pain, that rage or that intensity of anger or the intensity of depression or anxiety that lives within you, you have fundamentally done something impactful and meaningful for for life, for society, for your family, for your own existence. And there's a purpose in that. So when you can start to make your pain a purpose, your life will fundamentally change because you're not working against that part of you that's hurting anymore. That voice inside of you that's criticizing every single thing that you do. Why the fuck didn't you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go to the gym? What the hell is wrong with you? Why did you text her that? Like, you're such a fucking idiot. You know, you're not constantly working against your pain because the truth is that your pain has its own intelligence. And unless you're willing to start to work with it, it will just work against you. Mm. Is what we're talking about now with healing your relationship with the masculine, the reason you're putting men's work out into the world? It's a part of it. You know, it's a, it's a okay. part of it. In the book, I talk about the shadow of the father and the shadow of the mother. And that's essentially doing our part to reconcile with the masculine and the feminine. I think the reason why I put it out is similar to what I said before, which is I have seen so many men suffering and struggling I'm just, I'm tired of it. You know, I'm tired of sitting across from a man on a bus or in a, you know, in a subway or in a Starbucks and looking into his eyes and seeing how fucking sad and lonely he is. I'm tired of it, you know? And I know that I've been there. (laughs) I've been that guy, you know? And I think that we as a culture and a society have just fucking left men to deal with their shit, you know? And we've, we've largely said men are the problem and men are struggling and men are in decline. But then the solution to that is just be more vulnerable. It's like, well, that's, that's so vague and nondescript, you know, it's like destroy the patriarchy. It's like, okay, but how does, what does that do for men? How does, what does that give men any direction? 
No, likely not, right? And so I wrote the book because I wanted to give men a very practical, tactical guide to say, here's how you deal with the intensity that you probably feel physically and emotionally and psychologically inside of you. Because mm. every man has a very specific and intense charge inside of him that no one has taught him how to deal with. And that was the role of initiation culturally. And that was the role of elder men within our society was to say, look, you're going to experience some intense things in your life internally and externally. And we need to prepare you to know how to deal with those things. Because if we don't, it can fundamentally jade you and alter you into somebody that maybe you're not going to like, and that's not helpful and beneficial to society. That's really going to cause damage. You know, the main role of initiation was to for young boys was to send them back into their community more effective, more contributive than they were before. And how they did that was by bringing that young boy and that young man on a journey of experiencing who he became when he was powerless. So for most men, the reason why they don't feel empowered in their life is because they don't know who they become when they feel powerless, mm. right? When their girlfriend is angry or upset and you know he can't get her to calm down or feel better, or he can't reconcile the situation. He's apologized 10 times. It still hasn't helped. When a man feels powerless is simultaneously the opportunity for him to expand into his own power. And at the same time, where he is likely to be the most dangerous. Mm. And so if we as men don't understand that we are running through life fucking blind. We're blind because we all have a potency and a power within us that I think we all want to tap into, but it's frightening and it should be, right? The power that lives in you, I don't remember what the quote is exactly, but it's like, you know, your your light is more fearful than your darkness or some, some you know, iteration of that. And I think that that's true for a lot of men. So that's really why I'm writing the book. I love this. I only have you for a few more minutes here, but I'm curious, January, 2023, this book becomes available. If someone listening to the show picks it up and they can only take one thing away from it. What would you want that one thing to be and why? You know, I think there's a lot of cliche things that I could say here, but it's a big question because there's a lot in the book. I mean, I, th I think the, the main one is what I said before, which is your pain has its own intelligence and you need to be the one to lead yourself into that cavern and face mm. that dragon. And, and you don't have to do it alone right? You have to, there's part of it that you have to confront it on your own, but you don't have to do that journey alone. And so I would say those are the two things really, you know, it's your responsibility to be self-led, to go and face the parts of yourself that you're afraid of, that you don't know how to deal with, and you do not have to go on that journey by yourself. And going on that journey by yourself is, is probably hurting you more than helping you. Absolutely. Now, I know you get interviewed a lot. You've been interviewed a lot. You will get interviewed a lot. I'm curious, what's a question you wish more people would ask you? Oh, geez. You know, I've asked this question before on my show. <laughs> I'm always like, I don't even know how to answer that question. What's the question that I wish I would get asked? I think probably, you know, who was I as a boy? I think who that's probably the question boy? that I wish I would get asked sometimes, because I think that sometimes we as men, we get so far away from who we were as a boy, as a child, you know, this sort of adventurous, innocent, loving, compassionate, kind creature. And that version of us still lives in us. And if we don't know how to be a good steward to that child as an adult, if we don't know how to be a good father to the son that lives within us, we're in trouble. And so I think one of the things that I often don't get asked is who was I as a child and why mm. does that even matter? I think that's a really important question. Now, would you describe yourself with adjectives or would you go about it differently? Yeah, probably. I mean, here, I'll, probably only you'll see this, but that is a photo that lives on my desk. And it's a photo of me as a five-year-old sitting in a bucket, four-year-old sitting in a bucket after having dug around in the dirt in the backyard. <laughs> I used to like strip down to my underwear and go off into the backyard with, a, you know, with like a hatchet and a shovel, you know, like a little garden spade and dig holes in the backyard and dig underneath the deck and try and chop down trees that were, you know, 80 feet tall. <laughs> and so, you know, I would describe myself through story, you know, through mm. the things that I did and, and what I embodied. And 
And I think that's important for us as men that we sometimes lose sight of where we are in our own story, first and foremost, but we also lose sight of what we have embodied as men and as boys. And for me as a child, I embodied this wonderful spirit who was beautifully adventurous, very, very curious, and had this insatiable appetite to adventure out into the world, you know, and to be in nature and dig fire pits and, you know, carve things into trees and run around with my slingshot, you know, trying to take down squirrels, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like they were somehow the enemy. And so that's what I embodied as a kid. And so I think that the more that we as men can start to describe who we are through what we embody through story, versus saying, well, I'm charismatic and I'm funny and I'm this. It's like, well, that that doesn't have depth or substance. But if I can tell you a story that encapsulates what I embody, that's very different. It paints a much broader, more articulate and more depth-oriented picture of who I actually am as a man. And that's what people are craving. We don't need less masculinity. We don't need men to check out from society. We actually mm -hmm. just need to reconnect to it in a more broader, nuanced and depth-oriented way. I love this. This was a phenomenal conversation. I want to let everyone know that Connor's socials, websites, where you can get men's work, the new book, all of that will be in the show notes. And I got one last question for you. I'm going to try and squeeze out of you here. You live to whatever year you want to live. You write as many books, you impact as many men, women, whatever the case may be, hop on as many podcasts, you do it all. Whatever you have in your mind, you set out, you do it all. You could only be remembered for one piece of advice, though. Through all of your work, you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. So if I think of Connor, that one piece of advice comes to mind. What is that piece of advice? <laughs> it's going to be something very different than maybe what your other guests have said, but it's going to be heal your relationship to time. Heal you, your relationship to time. You are the perspective of time itself, so you need to heal your relationship to time past, present, okay. future. I love this. What does that mean exactly? It means depression is a past-based experience. Anxiety is a future-based experience. And when we view time as an enemy, when we view our past as an enemy or our future as something to be afraid of, we are at war with ourselves. We're, we have a civil war going on within us because we are that, right? We are that. And so we actually need to allow ourselves to look into our past, to look into our future, and to rectify our relationship to what has happened and what's to come so that we can just be in the present, right? To just be in the present moment and be grounded in our body and be present for our family and be loving for what's happening and to create structure in the moment and to give compassion and kindness wherever possible. And that none of that's possible. None of that is possible if you are someone who is at war with your past and your future. None of it. So you have to heal your relationship to time. Because if you don't, you can never in the present moment because you're just held hostage by what has happened and what you think is going to come. On that note, pen drop. Instead of a mic drop, Connor, <laughs> I appreciate this, man. I know I need to let you go. I, I want to say thank you for all of this. On the topic of that last question and your response, I think a part two is due in the future. But seriously, expressing gratitude for this opportunity. Incredible stuff. Again, we're going to have the book in the show notes, website, social, all of that good stuff. But thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast, where our friend Connor Beaton has guided us to face our darkness and self-sabotage and find freedom. Now, with that being said, you can connect with Connor in the show notes of this episode, where you'll find his socials, websites, where you can grab his book, and so much more, his programs included in that website link. Make sure you check that out. Beyond that, there are people in your life that need to hear this episode. So again, I am going to urge you to make sure you're sharing it. And if you do so on social, make sure that you tag myself and Connor so that we can show our appreciation and love for you. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.